Welcome to Wage Cucking with JMO. All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Wage Cucking with JMO. Uh, today we have a good friend of mine, Catherine. Catherine, how you doing? Doing well. Hi, JMO. Give me a little bit about your your background, how you got in the crypto, and maybe um, what you're working on now. Yeah. So one fun fact that I just gave out at a recent party is that I've never worked outside of crypto ever. So I started my crypto journey when I was in college by my good friends at MIT. At the time I was at Harvard and I was just always into the startup game, you know, just hang around with friends going to college. But eventually I kind of got my first involvement full-time with um, Ethereum Foundation, where I helped them set up the Ethereum Grants Program that right now is called the Ethereum Support Program. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I became a user for a while in DeFi Summer before coming to help them with their strategy bank protocol, the Oracle mm -hmm. company to help them with their strategy partnership and overall. And now I am working as a strategy slash analyst at a fund in Thailand. So uh, what, uh, what year were you at uh, Ethereum Foundation? I was at Ethereum Foundation from 2000, I think like late 2018 to early 2020. Did you have any like uh, takeaways from your time there? I, I know the whole Ethereum landscape was like substantially different back then, like or right now it was really popping off. But um, back then we didn't have, you know, stuff like layer twos. We didn't have decentralized finance. It, it was basically in its infancy, like the, the smart contract platform work. There, there were some projects building on it, but it, it, there wasn't like a huge robust ecosystem as we have today. I think back then there were very few people who saw things. I think to be honest, in the in the in the foundation at the time, there were a lot of idealists, mm -hmm. right? And I think they had the right people who saw stuff. I saw something, but even if the people who saw stuff technically that were exciting to them, I think very few people saw what it could be because that was before that was before people started talking about Uniswap. That was before DeFi. So what I took away from that is that sometime when you work in a project as a builder, you tend to be bearish and <laughs> you tend yeah. to be bearish because you see so many things to overcome. Mm -hmm. But if you keep a certain vision in mind and if you keep walking, sometimes you need to step out and, and be bullish. Uh -huh. Yeah, well, I have a few friends that were like really in on the ground floor of Ethereum and they all seem to be kind of crazy people. Like, but one of them refuses to have like a cell phone or refuses to be on the grid it takes trains everywhere because he, he doesn't want to use, use his passport to fly and it's like people like that so it, it felt like a lot of the og ethereum people were just kind of like crazy people that that, that wanted to avoid the <laughs> the eyes of the government or like the whatever you want to call it uh so, so after ethereum you moved to band protocol so so for, for those who don't know band protocol is a an oracle company essentially they they generate price feeds for decentralized finance centralized exchanges whatever whatever price feeds are are used for i'd say the biggest player in the in the space is probably linked it's chain link so your, your time there i guess bands a little bit of like a smaller company compared to link and link has quite a bit of the market share uh, mm -hmm. What were kind of the issues you saw there in, in terms of the, the company growth? And is there anything that you took away from that, like how to overcome that in order to build the company to what it is today? So I think Ban was one of the few company that still survived, sort of like survived from the first bear market, the first one mm -hmm. in 2019, right? 
So by the time when I found them, they were getting ready for the upcoming Boom Order 2020. And their problem was they wanted to scale things and they wanted to experiment with things. And I audited the company and I came up with, you know, two things that they need to work on. First of all is they need to scale the team because believe it or not, when you are an Oracle price feed, you are essentially in some way our security system because if you feed the wrong data, then you're liable to a lot of false liquidations. Yeah, right? for, like, for for sure. Like it, it's it's a big problem. <laughs> it's a big problem when like the the, the Oracle feeds um, aren't correct because then now like it's especially like some of these protocols have billions of dollars that are like being transacted. So if they're they're transacted at a, at a wrong price, it's quite detrimental for them. Yeah. So I I didn't realize how how much of a uh, of weight Oracles were carrying in DeFi until I worked on it and I started having alerts that wakes me up in the middle of the night with the mm -hmm. rest of the team. But one thing we want to make sure is that we want to barely streamline it in such case that at least when you, you know, go and help new projects, you can reliably support like a good price feed, right? Mm -hmm. And make sure that it's still decentralized. Because I know that one thing, one, one easy way to get away with this so that you don't feed the wrong price feed is to manual feed. And just like give give static feed, for example, but yeah. there will come a day. There will come a day that you'll be exposed, and people will exploit you. Uh -huh. So it's 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 a hard it's a hard technical problem, nonetheless. But what I learned from there, so what I did there in terms of growth in a company like that, first of all, like you know, if you need to grow your team, grow your team, but grow it with a good sense, so that you don't overblow your company. So I went there and then I helped the team grow to exercise, which at the end of the day, towards the end of, I think 2021, when there was like um, an Ethereum narr killer narrative. Mm -hmm. Back then when Optimism was about to launch, before that there was Celo and Nier. We got to a point where we were able to just be one of the first, be the first oracles that get launched on these ecosystems. Uh -huh. So if you recall, Optimism, back then they did whitelist the contracts, mm -hmm. which means they gave the projects to launch. And they, without us, Perpetual Protocol, which was the first recall that drew in meaningful TVL and Optimism, they wouldn't be able to launch mm -hmm. because they relied on Oracle. So my, my, one of my projects of the year was to get us to the point where we could at least technically be there for projects in these new ecosystems before mm -hmm. our competitor did and we did so so that was something that i gave myself a little pat in the back but oh, yeah. very nice job <laughs> the, the the oracle yeah. space i feel is is kind of interesting because uh, i feel like Chainlink has quite a bit of the market share and the, the, there are like quite a few alternate projects or alternate products like band band being one of them but do you have any thoughts about like the future? Like, will will all crypto, all DeFi, and I I think that the use case for for oracles has expanded quite a bit as like decentralized finance and products built on chain have mm. increased. Like, for example, a few years ago we didn't have synthetic assets on chain, and now there's like multiple platforms building synthetic assets on chain. So people are. Are, are trading like stocks they're they're trading like whatever through oracle based price feeds so i feel like there's always going to be demand for like good pricing oracles but uh in the future do you see basically everyone using link or will these smaller companies be able to survive in terms of like grinding out their little niche in the market share in order to, to provide like uh price feed data to certain protocols mm, i mean like knowing what i know 
because like I was working on many different fronts, including the business side. For example, when we talk about stock price, one thing that people do not do not know is that it is a heavily guarded commodity. As in, say, in the New York Stock Exchange, they usually license out the use of their data, and one does not typically just get a license to use their data. Uh-huh. So, like, it, in my opinion, right, there's even like legal innovation because how do you even think about? Well, if you're displaying stock New York like in in YSE prices on screen. And it's on blockchain and it's accessible to everyone. Is it still exclusive to the license holder only? So I think in terms of like the data and Oracle, there are still rooms to innovate from like even like the legal front uh-huh. um, down the way, all the way down into like um, technology front, like how fast can we feed? Because yeah. you are still limited by say the TPS, right? Every time you send a data feed, what you do is you actually send the data price with a transaction uh-huh. as if you would send some money, but you would just send no money, just gas, and then a message, which is the price. Yeah. So that's limited by the block time, uh-huh. the TPS. And to work around that, to make sure that the protocol, like the synthetic stocks protocol are up to date uh, with price, is a challenge too. So, so from legal to operation, to technical, I think even the data industry in crypto, which is actually very vital, I think it still has a lot of room to innovate. And yeah. That makes sense. Uh, I think what one of the bigger issues with um, data feeds right now is like the, it, it's important to have like real-time data or close to real-time data as possible because a lot of the, the asset prices fluctuate quite a bit, but then there's always latency. So, so like a, a big perpetual exchange on, on chain, DYDX, it, it's, it's gained quite a bit of popularity just because it's, uh, it's in theory a decentralized exchange, but it's plugged into a central limit order book. Meaning like if you're mm. like, um, if you're a market maker or, or you're a trader, you don't really deal with, with these issues. But if, if you're doing like Oracle based price, but like there's limitations in the in the speed of processing the the price feeds, it, it's it's ma- it's mainly based I, I think like on on chain. So like the, the the more validators you have like on a certain chain, the the higher the latency is, and then like the the, the latency matters quite a bit, especially if, if you're getting like price feeds on delay. There's there's going to always be like toxic flow within these exchanges mm. looking to exploit these. So like the previous podcast. I recorded it. I don't think it's out yet. We had uh, Jordy Alexander from Slinny Capital. I mean, he was like, uh, I guess he's known for speaking out against like the current model of exchanges on chain. Like he doesn't believe in the the GMX model, which is basically an Oracle based uh, swap protocol. And he also doesn't believe long term in the Uniswap automated market maker model, just because if you're a liquidity provider on any of these platforms, you're essentially counter trading the, the the people that are using the platform, and as crypto gets bigger, like the more like big funds, the the, the, the more like highly skilled traders that get into the space, mm. there's going to be more what, what they would consider toxic flow, meaning like people that are extracting money out of the ecosystem, which is the which is like a, a net loss for the LP providers. So like eventually all, all these LP providers like on Uniswap or, or GMX will realize that they're they're losing money providing liquidity and pull their liquidity. And then mm. like uh, eventually if there's no liquidity on tra- chain, the, the the markets still die. So you have any thoughts on the the current state of like the on-chain exchanges? Are, are there any developments you, you think that are going to take off? that will change the trading experience of people on chain? I on that that are online right now, I don't see any. 
Mm-hmm. Like I know a team that's working on. I think a lot of like the on-chain changes right now are moving instead of like from zero to one, mm-hmm. right? Like I think I think TMS was the first one that tries to get back to zero to one, but on that I see it's more like from one to two, as mm-hmm. in they form different things and then they piece it like different things together and then they try to Frankenstein it. Mm-hmm. So for me personally, no. Like even like the one that I. That kind of that I remember from talking to the teams is not that interesting to me. I think a lot of innovations are happening more on, like, say, the UX side, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that, like, as a builder, that's a low hanging fruit. If you can make the experience as mm-hmm. if you're on a centralized chain, they're hoping to get users more. But it doesn't solve the problem of liquidity or the actual seamlessness of the transaction, right? So no, unfortunately, <laughs> I'm waiting. Okay. I'm waiting. Yeah. 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 How about you? It, it seems like it seems like there, there's definitely room to improve the the current models. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about your, your your current job at the fund you're working at. Would you say you're more on the like venture capital side of things now, or what, what exactly are you doing? Actually, I'm actually looking myself a Swiss Army knife. So because I have a strong say, because I also have like some technical background uh-huh. from from my like from my computer science education, and I also have been a builder myself on the strategy oh. side i just kind of i just kind of do everything just keep my eyes out you, you, um, you have to flex your computer science from harvard a degree to the <laughs> <here>. <laughs> yeah 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 i did but i i was that person that studied computer computer science but um never really i wouldn't consider myself a coder right but it does help me understand for example like tech, i understand technical elements enough to understand things like infrastructure uh-huh. and and be able to see it at like a medium height view of things, you uh-huh. know? That makes sense. So yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, like the current state of crypto. Um, and maybe we can compare it to like the, the last bull run. A few topics uh, I thought of is like the, the the current landscape of decentralized finance. You, you think it's uh, long-term sustainable uh, in terms of a, a lot of, uh, in my opinion, a lot of decentralized finance is fueled by incentives and sort of printing money out of thin air. Like every platform has a token. Every every layer two is going to have a token. A lot of these tokens are, you know, emissions tokens that like if you mm. provide liquidity or if, if you mm. use the platform, you get them and then they're, they're sort of meant to be sold. And then if you look like the previous DeFi summer, which was, I guess, your your first foray into uh, decentralized finance, a, a mm-hmm. lot of the big protocols, like uh, the biggest ones like Uniswap, SushiSwaps, stuff like that, a lot of the, the LP rewards were in their native token. And I mean, fast forward like a few years, we can look, look at the trajectory of the, the sushi token uh, compared to what it was before. Like the, the rewards have gone down. The, the LPs are losing quite a bit of money. And then, but on the other side, there are quite a few new innovations in decentralized finance. And now we have stuff like um, multiple layer ones that uh, offer decentralized finance that are in theory better than ethereum like that they process transactions mm-hmm. faster that they have a lower latency but but then mm-hmm. also the, the, there are like a ton of new protocols that have different approaches to uh DeFi. so i i guess in like the next year or so how, how do you see the market going in terms of like on-chain trading decentralized finance stuff like that so actually like put a bit of thought comparing say like because i think the bull run of 2020 provides a study case like it gives us like a study case look at like okay what what happened there right and i think there were quite a bit of like a tailwind of like with on a macro you get capital injection from covid 
right? Mm -hmm. In terms of infrastructure at the time, you've got a real zero to one innovation. Like, hey, with Uniswap, it's AMM. And with SushiSwap, it's just the invention of like the second pool and the start of yeah, the ideas pool of how you can pool two, which is like the, the incentives, right? And then after that, you got Andre that kind of builds on the walls and you start getting these derivatives mm -hmm. that automates how you farm these things. And that became the one to two. And then I think largely, very roughly after that, it's like uh, different iterations of how you can maximize yields based on the people that figure out how to get yields. In the first mm -hmm. So when I look at this one, and then you, you got a lot of Messiah, that's, that's also another like you know a group of people thesis that one one thing that really helped with people understanding the last bull run was you have a figurehead a messiah yeah and and it was great for getting people eyeballs and attentions and it drills everything down simplistically when i look at this year i see the things that we're talking about right we're talking about zk rollup we're talking about layer ones what uh -huh. are you talking about you know like multiple layer one opportunities with Theoretically, it should be better than, than Ethereum. So all of these are infrastructure, uh -huh. sort of, right? Like, it's not, we're not, right now, we're not currently talking about, say, Adapt Global. That would be a game changer, like something innovative equivalent of, like, an AMM. So infrastructure is something that, I don't know if you've come across this, like, infrastructure theory that was circulating about half a year ago. No, I have not. So, like, it shows, it shows this graph that, like, usually you have an infrastructure right, that lays like a fundamental ground for possible things to happen. And then like things will be built on that infrastructure because infrastructure provides the limits of how much innovation can happen. Uh -huh. For example, if your block time is still like super slow, there'll be limited things that you can do. Like continuous data feeding wouldn't be possible, which means like super, super cool, maybe synthetic stocks or stuff wouldn't be possible because yeah. infrastructure is not there, right? But Let's say, so So you have infrastructure at this level and the dApps that get built on here would just exhaust everything. They would, they would, they would iterate, they would go from one to two, they would Frankenstein, everyone else, and they would just exhaust everything that you have here. And then you get into a point where you're stuck until you build a new level of infrastructure mm -hmm. that allows a new type of innovation to happen. And using that framework where we are right now, I feel like as a community, we're coming to realize that, yeah, like, you know, we have been there for a while with the one to two. Let's see if we can come up with new infrastructure, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's kind of, that comes down to like tech. And I think that's kind of easy to evaluate. So people are talking about CK and I think that's why people are excited about it because yeah. it kind of gives a reason to hope. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, th th that makes sense. So going off that, like the, the new infrastructure that's being built, uh, I feel like there's sort of like two schools of thought right now. The, the first is being Ethereum is going to take over and mm -hmm. people are going to build on Ethereum through through layer twos using Ethereum as a, a base layer for, for settlement and, and security. And the other theory is that we're going to have um, like a robust ecosystem of alternate layer ones that e each have their own like unique tech stack that pr provides something e unique that al allows like um, certain projects or, or, or certain protocols to, to build on, on top of that and use that as like a solid base layer for what they're trying to accomplish. So in terms mm. of, uh, I guess, like the, the capital, the, the user base, the, mm. the, the number of people like the, the overall flow 
of crypto in the next year. Uh, how do you see this going? Like, do, do, do you think that alternate layer ones that provide superior technology are going to take market share from Ethereum? Or are you more bullish on, say, Ethereum taking over and stuff like ZK Sync, stuff like Starkware, stuff like Arbitrum Optimism, capturing more of the market share compared to alternate layer ones? I think alternate layer ones have to execute their launch really well. Because one one thing, so for, for Ethereum ecosystem, including layer twos, one thing that they have a look up is that if you go from layer one, Ethereum, to layer two, you can still hold ETH as ETH, right? So yeah. there is no security risk in terms of have to hold ETH and then you lock it up in a contract and then I get representation of ETH, like wrap ETH. So I think in that sense, like capitals will move with more ETH. Mm-hmm. even though that it's still going to be a little bit of an experience like there will be like withdrawal like there will be duration limit and so on and so forth there will be like latency so but in terms of layer one so i think capital will get there like a little bit more tough the experience is not great like you send the money into the void and you just pray it shows up on the other side yeah and then hopefully the contract doesn't get attacked but yeah this doesn't that this doesn't, doesn't matter much to retail but when you think of big players and you want big players to come in because that's a huge chunk of capital um, is going to be a problem. And then, yeah, and the, the layer ones, I think if you look at the layer ones that are exciting this year, we're thinking APA, yeah. we're thinking Sui, right? uh-huh. and, and, and say, And I think I like the angle that they, even though with infrastructure that's a, even like with really high TPS, they try to highlight that through a specific use case like gaming right? uh-huh. because at least you're trying to create a niche market apart from ethereum because yeah. it's going to be really hard to try to emulate a more mature ecosystem like ethereum so like for me in order for l1 to take over that i look at this as like if you're a startup you have to find a niche that you saturate really well and then you go from there because if you want to do the DeFi game head on yeah it's gonna be a tough game to catch up yeah for sure in my opinion yeah it's difficult to to get like a sort of natural user base for for DeFi when there's so much DeFi that already exists um you have have to build out the platforms you have to like figure out where the liquidity comes from figure out where the users come from You, you likely have to run incentives on your own chain like give out your own native token as incentives in order to in- incorporate that or to, to draw users to your platform and that's probably not long-term sustainable like meaning the, the initial users that, that that come to your platform because of the incentives you can't just be giving away free money for like the for another 10 years or something right so then well, once mm. the incentives sort of dry up they may leave and, and go, go back to, to where they're at so, so you think that these alternate layer ones they're basically looking for a specific use case to draw like a small subset of the crypto users onto it but they're trying to get it to be like long-term sustainable so like the example for the move chains like aptos and sui that they they can advertise you know like high high speed low uh low fee transactions and then uh, maybe like a lot of games would want to build on there because like in gaming it requires quite a few transactions and um a lot of the even the ethereum roll-ups aren't really built to to support that yeah i mean i hope that's what they do uh-huh. I, I think it'll be good for the ecosystem right if somebody else figure out a new use case um, other than DeFi to attract a new group of users and capital and i think that's why a lot of vcs were 
investing and some people would argue over investing into gaming last year. But I, I am personally doubtful about the development cycle of these things that are about to come out because like good things take time. Even with Swap, they've been around for a while before they gain traction, right? Um, mm-hmm. Before they find two stuff. And then once like a big milestone innovations are there, I think it's easy for their people to iterate and experiment. But I think it needs it needs time for that to be done, right? Yeah. So, how, how much of the how much of the the success of alternate layer ones do you think is actual technology or more of like the team, the marketing stuff like that? I think crypto is still largely driven by capital, so I think uh-huh. like more of it's actually marketing. Uh huh. Yeah. I, yeah, I, 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 I sort of, I sort yeah. of feel the same because I, I see quite a few of these like alternate layer ones that like seem like they're they're pretty good at technology. Like, like an example comes to my mind is Near, which it just feels like it's pretty far along on the development curve, like almost further along than Ethereum. But with the new layer ones coming out, with Ethereum layer twos coming out, like the the token price and then the the uses sort of fallen off. So. It, it, it to me, I, I think the layer one with the best technology isn't going to be the the big winner in this, which kind of sucks because you, you sort of incentivize people to spend less time and focus on technology and development and more on like capital raising, um, marketing, mm. trying to drive a user base. Yeah, I mean, this is what I talk to builders all the time, and also like because I let me confess, right, when I got into crypto, I was literally in it for the tech. <laughs> and, and, and <laughs> it's, it's not just a meme you're in it for the tech <laughs> i i i'm one of those people and you know i have no new breath but i mean there's a there's a there's a place for everyone right in the ecosystem and i think like the people who are in it for the tech sometimes even the builders these days because now i work at a fund they see things more from a different perspective and uh-huh. then you kind of see more how how it comes together and if you look at crypto it just Going through this phase, you just have to look like, say, if you if you want this technology to be around for uh-huh. actual adoption in 20 years so that we can all get our financial sovereignty, uh-huh. then this few years can just be a period where, you know, we're just going to we're just going to care a lot about capital because that's what we need to build meaningful things to grow. And personally, I'm kind of okay with that. It's just a part of the development cycle of the overall industry, right? Like the internet age has to flop first. And it took a long time before, yeah, for sure. before, before it rebuilds itself up, rotation, obviously. Yeah, I, I, we'll I, I, yeah I, I feel the same, but like we're, I mean, crypto has been around for quite some time now, but if you look at like the, the rate of growth in the past few years versus like the previous 10 years or something, it's, it's, it's staggering. So uh, I don't see mm. any reason why, why crypto won't, won't grow in terms of like infrastructure technology at like a super rapid rate that sort of opens the doors for new cool stuff that we we don't have right now to to be built on chain yeah yeah so it's just like even the capital injection all these things you know like some at some point you tolerate and you appreciate it but Mm -hmm. i think like sometimes just things at at one point i think we'll come to realize that okay it's too much of a distraction now Mm -hmm. but going back to like um what was your question i'm sorry oh i don't even remember (laughs) We are horrible. Uh, no, yeah. I was saying I was in it for the tech. But oh yeah, you're you're in it for the tech. All right. But after we get a fun, you get yeah. different perspectives, and even you, for you, you're uh, you're in it for the money now. I, <laughs> you're I'm in it objectively now. Like you, you have to know, you have to be able to place yourself on the timeline, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you, for example, if you know that you're in the first 
in hit age where it's going to flop. If, if you know that the way you go about it would be very different. Yeah. Even if you are a strong advocate for the internet, right? Uh-huh. You, you have to be objective and have a vision and just know what forces you can control and not yeah. control and what do you flow with, right? So that's what I And that's what I hope more builders learn because I think a lot of, say, great builders that I have talked to, they are so, even, you know, the, the kind of people you talk about early days, Ethereum, they're so focused on that. That if the environment in the last few years has changed a lot, influenced by capital, if they are not caught on to that, we're going to lose these people behind and we're not going to get meaningful innovation as yeah. fast as we could. Yeah, so, the, 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 that, yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, so one other thing I wanted to talk about, I, I knew you were looking into NFTs or doing quite a bit of oh. NFT research. I'm yeah, not. A, yeah, yeah. I'm not a big NFT guy, but I've I've sort of been following quite a bit of the developments. So like I I traded a bit bit when Looks Rare came out. I've been following like the Blur stuff. The NFT game on on Bitcoin has been taking off uh, recently. Uh, do, mm. do you have any thoughts on like the the future of, of NFTs? Like if they will have long-term value um, or was it just a phase and we're going to move on to the next crypto cycle? I think NFT might actually have its own cycle. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm thinking as I talk here, right? But if you, if you look at like the reason why I got interested in NFT because it was a different asset class mm-hmm. as you would like gold versus painting, right? Painting allows you certain value propositions Mm-hmm. Maybe in the eyes of legal, in the liquidity of it, it has its own market in the way that gold doesn't, right? And for me, I think like last year in NFT, there were a lot of hype. The great thing that it did is that it got a lot of eyeballs onto general blockchain technology from yeah. the general public, right? So that's great, but it seems like we couldn't sustain that. Uh, so maybe- I, I also I also feel that like that's not always good, especially when you have like these NFT projects that like rug or go to zero or like these social media influencers that release NFTs just to raise money. It sort of gives like like a bad rap to like first time crypto users that they, they buy yeah. their their favorite athlete or their favorite rappers NFT and it goes to zero, and then they they think crypto is a scam, which is yeah. is, is not great for the ecosystem. No, you know, like I actually was really you know i was hoping that actual artists that were doing nft like uh murakami uh-huh. the guy the guy with the smiley flowers yeah i was actually <laughs> hoping that, <laughs> i was actually one of these artists who you know they they have you know they have had made their whole life about art and they this is their identity this is their livelihood that they would be able to bring a certain weight into the project uh-huh. but i think like everyone right not just the people who are crypto natives um or not just the artists like i'm trying to understand what this user group wants and what value can you add using this medium digital Uh as a medium it's still going to be a new thing so i think it it takes more time it's unfortunate that people get rushed but i i still have hope that one day you know the the builders in the nft space like the artists they would be able to somebody would come along with a good sense of how to utilize the tech and use it uh-huh. with a sense of artistic vision, right? And be able to execute something that is one of a kind. 
Uh-huh. Um, and I think that if that happens, then I think we might have a chance of creating new life into it. What about the current NFTs right now that people would consider blue chip NFTs? So like off the top of my head, stuff like Board Ape Yacht Club or CryptoPunks, uh, Azuki's, stuff like that. It, it seems like they, they were hyped quite a bit and they had their own crypto cycle where they pumped quite a bit and now the liquidity, the, the floor price is quite a bit lower. Uh, do, do you see those maintaining like market share, maintaining value, or do, or do you think like the future NFT landscape is like more known people, more artists coming into the space, issuing their own NFTs and, and those retain value over, you know, like the original punks? I mean, there are two things now, right? Like if those commodities was like, appealing to two different markets like the artist markets like appeal whoever the artists want to appeal it can be the mass generation population the avatar nft like not exactly avatar but like the ones that you mentioned board abr club azuki these were or even rocks right these were originally appealed to the DeFi people like yeah. the, the crypto holders people and it became kind of a relic now so the people who could afford that in the first place, I don't think if they were buying it because of the gain that they got from the last bull run, I don't think they're going to, it became a badge of honor that I don't think they're going to just sell and it I will see. always somehow retain that status. I mean, I could imagine that like three years from now, people will be like, yeah, you know, at the time I went through all of that journey kit and I have a board aid to show for it. Yeah. I, 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 can, I can see <laughs> something like that. Right. Yeah, but it, yeah. it seems like stuff stuff like uh, board apes are trying to build utility and you, you know like actual development for their their NFTs. Where where something like CryptoPunks is, I, I I compare it with like Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Like Bitcoin, there's almost no development. I, I mean, there is a little bit development, but its selling point isn't that it's going to be this awesome layer one smart contract protocol where people can do everything. It's just it's just there. It's Bitcoin. And I feel like this is the same for the the mm. initial crypto punks, right? That the, there's not going to be like a crypto punk game or like alternate mm. crypto punk NFTs, but the, the inherent value as being like one of the first, the the first to be super popularized, the the distribution being like a, I believe it was like a free mint, right? The the, the same with the the Bitcoin distribution mm. being um, zero mm. percent pre mine stuff like that adds long term yeah. value. So yeah. you you, th- you think the the OG NFT um, prices will sort of follow the the crypto or DeFi prices? Like for example, if, if there's another DeFi summer where, where people make tons and tons of money doing whatever in DeFi, you think that flows back to these initial NFTs? One angle that I thought about this, and I'm not an I by no means consider myself an NFT expert. I've never made money out of NFT, right? What I like to think of myself is. I am an observer and I'd like to have some opinion. So here's what I mean about NFT. NFT, people bought with ETH, right? And let's say, it's especially it's a big project. These are usually like whales with a lot of ETH. Yeah. So if I, you know, like if I have 100 ETH lying around, or maybe like, okay, 1,000 ETH lying around, I buy a board ETH, and then the market went down. Every, everything went down last year, right? Everything went down. I know that if I buy more board ETH and, and I make this month money, which means I have a certain conviction, right in in the crypto economy and i can't just liquidate all my asset in crypto so yeah. one play that you could do is that you could hold on to these or buy even more of these entities so that when the market pulls up which you have conviction in anyway you would actually have an appreciating asset it's like a way that you instead of holding just naked ETH, you would hold it in form of nft 
yeah. because you have the upside of these projects growing, doing something cool, adding more value to the underlying ETH that is growing with it, right? Like maybe the floor price doesn't move, but if the ETH price moves back to level where close to where it was before, then you start making investment back. Yeah. And that's a part of your thesis anyway. So that's why I think that especially for these more sticky um, NFTs, there are more reasons to hold or even buy more if people perceive that it's going to go up and it's accumulation time. Yeah, a lot, a lot of my friends that are like really into NFTs, they, they sort of see these NFTs as leveraged ETH, meaning like if if, if mm. ETH goes up, the ETH ecosystem, it, it improves quite a bit. The, the the value of Ethereum will go up, but then also the, the, the price of the NFT denominated in Ethereum will, will go up in terms of Ethereum. So it's sort of like a, a leveraged bet on, on their Ethereum, which I find quite interesting i uh, maybe i'm just like too old or i'm a boomer or something but i i just i, I look at nfts and i just like can't understand like what's really going on like uh <laughs> i'm like i look at stuff like ether rocks which they're selling for like 100 to 200 eth at a time and it's just like a photo of a rock and <laughs> yeah. I, I i just I'm, I'm just too old for this shit i i, I, don't, I don't know what's going on maybe maybe some people are just in it for the art yeah, just in it for the beautiful, like, 200 pixels of a rock. Yeah, I, I really get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's minimalism. Uh, so <laughs> move, moving on, um, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the, the market in general, maybe the outlook for the next, say, for, mm -hmm. for, for the remainder of the year. Like, do you have any guesses as to the direction of crypto, especially, I, I guess, overall market cap? But then also how the whole Ethereum versus alternate layer ones is going to play out, how, how the, the landscape of Ethereum is going to play out um, in terms of new layer twos launching. All, all these layer twos are going to, I feel like they're going to launch their own native token. We, are, we already seen it with you know, Optimism, Arbitrum, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I guess like your general thoughts on the outlook, like what will Ethereum maintain market share? Will their market share grow? Will, will these layer twos, the token price of these layer layer twos co-op what happens to the alternate layer ones that have already launched or will launch what will, will they lose out of market share and you know like sort of slowly whittle away i don't see a reason why the ethereum market share wouldn't go up with the zk narrative uh-huh right the question is like how sustained it's going to be you're, you're saying like you're saying ethereum market share compared to like other layer ones like ethereum dominance versus other layer ones i mean I, for me even if you're trying to get onto other layer ones i feel like the money some of it has to be it, it's gonna come from ethereum yeah um, unless you, you have a different opinion but i but i don't see a case where you're asking for a case if i think layer one would outperform ethereum right is that what yeah or, or like in general like if you take the 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 basket of layer ones right now or that they're launched they'll they'll gain market share or, or they'll gain users compared to ethereum so they'll have a larger share of the pie the only so like one deciding factor for me for that to happen would be seeing what kind of dApps they have lined up for layer one uh -huh. yeah that's also still something i'm waiting to see because so this is this is like um maybe and maybe this is where you can chime in as well. There's like the whole fundamental thing that we talked about with it, right? With with the infrastructure mm -hmm. framework, right? And then there's the actual capital flow and like capital looking for a place to land. Yeah. Right. Because you've got a whole sector of say market makers who want to make a living, they want to make money back from the 
the ca- catastrophe of 2020, yeah. 2022, right? And you've got people who want to drive narrative to to just take advantage of of, of the rally or the bull run. Mm-hmm. So, so let's say even say in ZK, what I'm guessing is that the infrastructure itself is going not to be too much of a change enough in the way it launches this year mm-hmm. that it would provide a new meaningful better user experience or um, innovation uh-huh. and, and what do I what do I mean by this like for example if we look at and not to this on optimism we like them yeah. but if we, we were to look at optimism they haven't really come out with the proof like the prover mechanism right yeah. and even with the the next upgrade with the bedrock they're not able to it's not going to come out even then. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? This means that actually like the state of CK that are being launched right now, they're not fully there in terms of security. Not that people will take advantage of them. Yeah. But if they haven't launched the security stuff, how much do you think the other features that would actually make meaningful experience would already be out there, right? Uh-huh. At the same time, ZK, the reason why ZK gets launched or after all the optimistic rollout solution like Arbitrum, optimistic is because it's a lot more complicated we have talked about ck since forever right and zk is also i'm not confirmed but not confirmed but i just just look at the development cycle it's highly unlikely it's going to be launched with the full potential yeah in my opinion yeah right so so you're gonna get a chain that's cheap that's fast but right now i don't know if they want it any faster and Uh there will be some applications that will be built on ZK that are waiting to rely on these technologies. They're waiting to rely on these exact TPS. Yeah. Right? I'm waiting to see how that turns out because if we actually have that feature, a new person would definitely come along, break out of the, this framework of whatever we're forking from each other and uh-huh. come up with a new thing, right? Because it will be right. But on that end, with what I'm currently seeing with my exposure, which is limited, I'm, I'm doubtful. So then we look at L1. Right, which at least they are not trying to only compete on like the standard metrics of like TPS and all these things. Yeah. They have the angle of like, well, we code this in such a way that you could do this specific use case very easily. Yeah. Then it's really up to them to be able to showcase those use cases because that's really their way to get out of the of the red ocean. It's right? to like carve out like a specific use case so that that projects will will use it because for 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 their needs it's better than like what Ethereum or even Ethereum Layer Two is offering. Yeah, yeah. So like you're not competing in like the mainstream gate right now because if you're doing the the whole fasting, you've got six seventeens launching yeah. this year. Right, and you're you're gonna be trying to pull capital from that without a native bridge. It's going uh-huh. to be really hard. So, my market cap for L1, right? Like, I think it has a chance of growing more and faster than Ethereum uh-huh. if it can showcase a use case that is interesting. Uh-huh. I'm not. I'm, I like it might not have to actually be adopted, right? But like yeah. that's something that's something new to prove that it has a chance at uh-huh. establishing its own blue ocean yeah. on this side. So, so you, you think like the price, if they carve out something like this, is more narrative driven than like actual development driven? Like if, if a new chain comes out and like maybe only a few products flock to it, but it, it's, seen, it's seen as superior in some way, you, you think that will cause market share to increase for it? I mean, it has more chance of the market share increasing because uh-huh. remember like there's the actual fundamental, right? Yeah. Which sometimes drives the not drives the price. But right now, I have a sense that there's a sector of people who want to drive the price. Uh-huh. And if 
first of all, if the innovation is, here's how I think about this. If the innovation itself is new enough to first ignite the narrative, there's a level, right? First, you have to be able to ignite the narrative. And the second one is to actually sustain adoption. Mm-hmm. But if it can at least fulfill the first level, then then that's already something. Mm-hmm. And I think it can get there with careful execution mm-hmm. um, in terms of ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Th- that makes yeah. sense. Uh, yeah. So going actually going back to ZK Sync. Uh, so one, one thing I, I find interesting is even though uh, ZK Sync and the, there are quite a few other layer twos are eth- Ethereum driven or ethereum based for now like they're separate companies right so you talk about the uh the the value of the layer two technology sort of being reliant on like the progression of the the base layer right like as as the base layer scales the the layer two scales you think it's possible for like a company like zk sync to say listen um Ethereum is great and all, but there, there's this alternate layer one that we can build rollups on that the, their tech stack is substantially better. Why don't we just move to them and that drives mass value to that chain? I mean, if you just look at it from like a fundamental perspective, I think that's like, that's, that's why not? Yeah. Right. But I'm, I'm guessing that the reason why they're thinking all about Ethereum because they understand the importance of capital flow Yeah. and the ease of capital flow. Yeah. Right? So you, and, you think these companies are more concerned about like the, the capital flow than the actual technology, at, at least for now? Yeah, because if you think about average people, a lot of like when we use the Ethereum chain, we don't we don't often stop and appreciate the the technology that goes behind Ethereum. Yeah, we just we just get upset when our transactions. Yeah. <laughs> Why is gas so high? Why is it so expensive? Exactly. Like what? It didn't go through and it took my gas money. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the worst. So I think like the people, I hope the people who are working on the business side of this technology are aware of that, right? And uh-huh. and if you were to wear the builder's hat, then I think it's like sensible for you to position yourself in a way that say, if you as a new team, you haven't figured out how to really advertise for your value add in your technology or bring meaningful experience, new experience as a value add, then you would have some capital sustain yourself before you do so uh-huh. and especially if all of your other committers are building on it's like connecting to this like you know you're, you're building this pipeline to like this land with a lot of capital you're building yeah. a highway right yeah. everybody else is building the highway and you're like well and you know and you're a company with doing similar things with the same technology under underneath and it's a lot of risk for you to, to go over the mainland. Yeah, yeah for, for sure. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with that completely. So <laughs> one, one last thing about like the, the future outlook of crypto. Um, so I, I think in general, in the past year, year and a half, crypto, at least like the, the market cap, the prices and stuff like that have followed the, the current macroeconomic trends, I'd say. Like the, the, there was this whole meme going around that like Bitcoin is basically the same as like the S and P five hundred. Like S and P goes up, the Bitcoin goes up, stuff like that. So like I guess for the next like year, year and a half, do, do you see this trend continuing, or do, do you think there's going to be like decoupling of crypto assets versus like traditional markets? I don't think I'm the right person to say that. You actually might have like a more concrete view on that. Uh-huh. I, I mean, it's a little bit out of your out of your wheelhouse. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think there will be like more people who are more suitable to answer that question, right? But I think <laughs> there's like there there are hope in crypto. Like, let's say people hope, like with the last Bitcoin narrative being an inflation hedge or like being like like recession proof, right? Uh-huh. Like there are these narrative that tries to 
drive the decoupling of Bitcoin uh-huh. and, and, and the overall stock market and the economy, right? So there's that. And we we see how that pan out. I think there was a year where it correlates really highly, like in the bear market. Yeah. Right. But usually it decorrelates on the way up. Yeah. Yeah. I and, mean, it, it has to in bull markets because like traditional finance markets can't go up like 700% in like one cycle, like the crypto markets. That's true. I don't know. I just don't see a reason that it would decorrelate on the way down right now. I actually want to hear your opinion on this. Do you, you want my opinion? Yeah. I actually think that like crypto is going to decouple from um, macro quite a bit. Uh, mainly because a lot of like the the value proposition of, of crypto is sort of moving money outside the traditional financial system. So like, uh, I don't know if you follow like the recent events of like signature banks, uh, sorry, signature banks, Silvergate, uh, Silicon Valley Bank. Mm. Basically, there are like a lot of banks in the U.S. and even in Europe that took in a lot of capital, mostly from like tech companies in like maybe 2020. Mm-hmm. And they put all the money in like mortgage-backed securities and stuff like that when interest rates yeah. are low. Not now interest rates are high. If, if people start withdrawing, then I, I think there's probably like 50 or so Silicon Valley banks that aren't exposed yet because people aren't taking deposits out. So like a, a bank will never go insolvent if mm-hmm. no one withdraws money, right? If, if everyone yeah. keeps their money in the bank, it's, it's the same with the FTX situation. The, the only reason mm-hmm. why FTX went insolvent was because there was fight about it. And then like everyone would try to withdraw their money and then now the money is all gone. Uh, it's the same with the mm-hmm. bank. Every, every bank runs in a fractional reserve. The, the, their investments or their positions aren't transparent. And mm-hmm. like all, all their positions are marked as un- unrealized gains or losses until the, the position is closed. So if you buy a market's back security in 2000 at like 2% and now the rates are like 5%, if you, if you, if you sell now, you take a loss, but you're only forced to sell now if people are, are, are withdrawing money. So uh, the, the U.S. government in this whole banking crisis thing, they made it a specific point in order to, like, to sort of weed out the crypto companies, like to, to shut off or at least attempt to shut off the, the fiat on-ramps, off-ramps into crypto. So like a, a lot of these banks, like for example, I believe Signature was, was taken over by the New York Fed, even though they weren't really insolvent, but they just decided to take them over. And they tried to resell the assets, but one of the stipulations on them reselling the, the assets is they would have to shut down their crypto department. Because mm-hmm. I think the concern with traditional finance is that the U.S. government is fine with these banks going down because like, they can just bail them out and then issue more debt. And as long as these banks are buying government debt, like the, the money stays within the system. Even mm-hmm. stuff like GBTC or, or uh, potentially like a spot BTC mm-hmm. yeah, ETF. If people want to uh, invest in crypto, they in theory can buy these, but it's not really crypto, right? Because the, their money stays in the system. Like they're you hold you hold GBTC on your in your bank account or in in whatever account. You're you're not looking at like self custody. So mm-hmm. they only have an issue when m- money starts flowing out of the system when when people are transacting with each other using crypto mm. only, using decentralized exchanges, using peer-to-peer exchanges, stuff like that. Mm. And I, I feel mm-hmm. like that's a big fear for them. So mm. in, in the future, I feel like if this economy takes off, if people stop using banks, stop using traditional finance, start transacting more in, in native crypto, that like start, start using decentralized exchanges, stuff like that more, then 
like the, the more and more this happens, the, the less and less like traditional finance is related to the value of crypto. And then if, and as, as crypto develops, there's going to be more products that are developed on chain. So like what we talked about earlier, like, mm. especially with the, like the, the invention of Oracle price feeds, you can trade synthetic assets online. So if I wanted to buy Tesla stock, like Tesla dumped like 12% the other day, if, if I wanted to buy the dip and buy Tesla stock before you would have to go through a brokerage, well, you to deposit money from a bank. But if, if mm-hmm. there's a platform that allows you to, to, to trade synthetic stocks, you could just like hold the Tesla on chain, not have to use the traditional finance system. And like, as money flows out of that system, like, I feel mm-hmm. like the more and more uh, decoupling will occur between the traditional markets and the crypto markets. Yeah. Yeah. So th- 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 those are, th- those are my thoughts on the issue. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I uh-huh. agree. I, I, it's going to take a while though. This is like a long game, right? Like if we are successful with this like massive experiment that we're in, then uh-huh. that's going to happen because what happens is that we have our own economy and then uh, uh-huh. in some ways the traditional finance becomes less relevant. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, yeah that's so, why the oh. New York Stock Exchange got their data. <laughs> they, they don't want they don't want you to build synthetic stocks, you know. Yeah, and, for, and, for sure. And not, yeah. Okay. One final question before I let you go today. Uh, you're the first woman that we've had on the podcast. I I feel like that crypto is a bit of a boys' club, similar to you know, like investment banking, traditional finance, stuff like that. What are your experiences in the space being a woman? Like, is there anything you notice? Do you face discrimination? Like, are you sometimes not taken seriously? Or do you, do you feel like it's like a fair playing ground for you? I mean, I usually, I, I just realize that I just have to add value. Like if you add value to someone and if they're smart enough, they will like, oh, interesting. And they'll start talking to you. So I think there isn't much there. Other than that, I think like it's um you you have to like what you do. Like mm-hmm. for me, like no know, knowing what you're good at, right? For example, I'm I realize that some people are very good at building their stuff, and I'm very good at talking to them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not very good at coding, but I'm very good at talking to them, right? And I'm very good at distilling some of those information to some other people who are very good at doing other things, which you can say is like more of like a feminine skill, but like. If I'm adding value to you, then then why not, right? And yeah. it does help, for example, to it also helps to also keep building your skill. Mm-hmm. Like for me, going from builder perspective, actually building stuff, actually trading, differentiating different organizations into learning how to think about capital, how to think about investing, to understand a whole new group of people who are driving the mechanism of crypto is going to allow me to add more value to other uh-huh. people that I'm in touch with. And so I don't really think of trying to label things. Do I face discrimination? I mean, people get rejection. Maybe I have more than other people, but I don't think it helps me to think about that yeah. and talk about it, right? Yeah, yeah <laughs> like, fair. Like, hmm. yeah, yeah, fair. So, all right, I, I, think yeah. that's, uh, I think that's all we have for today. But before you go, is there anything you want to plug or um, where can people that are watching this find you or... You know, is there anything else you want to say? Actually, this is also my first time, like, kind of go on public since 2019. The last time when I went public in crypto in similar manner was when I unveiled the Ethereum Foundation, uh-huh. um, the grants fund. Oh, and- <laughs> you, were, you were the one that presented it? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I, uh, I was supposedly the face of it. <laughs> face of the Ethereum <laughs> Foundation, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was the face of it and then I did it and it was a lot of pressure. It was uh-huh. a lot of pressure. 
because people were waiting on it, right? Like, oh, Ethereum finally is like promising to give 30 million per year. Yeah. Uh, so, so there were a lot of, I guess, curation that went into it. And I didn't like it, so I didn't come. After oh, I see. Time. So, but if you want to find me, I have a Twitter. I will try to tweet more. But if not, I guess Jim will just have to have me up on here again, maybe with another guest. All right. You should, you should <laughs> tell everyone your, your Twitter, Twitter handle. My Twitter handle is Kathpunti, C-A-T-H-P-U-N-T-I. All right. So if you're watching this, you, you can follow her there. All right. Thanks, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. This has been a great conversation.